morning, good morning, good morning. I hope you guys are doing well. If, uh, if you are here in the room, especially, thanks for joining us uh, today. If you're our guest, today is day number one. We're super grateful that you are here for the series that we are calling Under the Sun. If you are watching online, uh, you may actually be under the sun, right? You may be getting away a little bit um, as Midwesterners, right? We all want to go to the beach, right? Every, every Midwesterner wants to wants to go to the beach. I just want to show you a picture that I saw uh, recently. Uh, this was, um, I saw it on a social media platform, I'm sure. This is from a biologist. This comes from one teaspoon of salt water. So next time you take a big gulp of that ocean agua, look at that thing on the bottom right. And he said, he said the reason that it's this way is because the ocean's full of lots and lots of uh, creatures. And those creatures eat, and then they expel things, which is another reminder that the ocean is just one big toilet. And that's all that it is, right? Which is fine, which is fine, right? Creatures are fine. But whenever I walk out into the water, wade out, and then there's that one guy over there all by himself with that content look on his face, right? That's no bueno. I'm out. I'm back, I'm back, up, I'm back up onto the shore. Um, well, I do hope that you're getting some time away uh, this summer to rest, uh, to relax. And as we're going through this series um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, when we're talking about under the sun, the reason that we're calling it that is because it's actually a phrase that comes up in the book over and over and over again. Solomon says um, that everything is meaningless under the sun. He says it over 20 times. He comes back to it over and over and over again. Solomon, one of Israel's greatest leaders, right? He says, listen, I tried it all. I tried uh, pleasure. I tried power. I tried technology. Uh, had all the financial resources you could ever imagine. So he's the one guy who says, listen, I'm smarter than you. Um, I have more money than you, more resources. I had more fun than you. And I'm telling you that under the sun, it's all meaningless, which sounds very depressing, but it's actually very encouraging because what Solomon is trying to tell us is to live life connected above the sun. And if you're connected above the sun, then everything underneath the sun has lots and lots and lots of meaning. So the thing that we've said every week is that God offers us a full life in an empty world. That's what we're learning week in uh, and week out. And so as we move through, and I hope you are, I hope you're reading uh, Ecclesiastes. And if you finish Ecclesiastes, jump over to Proverbs. Solomon also wrote that. Um, one of the things you'll notice about wisdom literature uh, in the Old Testament is that it's thematic in nature, um, but it comes up. It, Solomon kind of bounces, like he'll talk a little bit about a certain topic, move on, come back, move on, come back. And so as we teach it, that's how we kind of have to move and look at different parts of the book. So this morning, we're going to look at two themes uh, that come out of uh, Ecclesiastes. Then next week, we'll finish the book in chapter 12. Then the following week, we'll start uh, our um, end of summer fall series on the book of Revelation. Uh, but the two topics that we're going to look at uh, today um, are uh, political power and personal finances. Political power personal finances. And if you're thinking, Dean, you're going to talk about politics and money all in the same message? I just figure if I'm going to make you mad, I might as well just make you mad, right? We'll just do it all at once, right? So Ecclesiastes chapter 8, if you want to turn over there, we'll start looking at what Solomon says about believers and politics. He says this, keep the, keep the king's command because of God's oath 
to him. Now, it's important, I think, for us to recognize that we do not have a king, right? We don't have a king, but I think what Solomon says can be applied, generally speaking, to our um, elected officials. So the first thing that he says is keep the king's commands. Keep the king's commands. So generally speaking, I think this is the posture for us as believers. Three Three things. Number one, you live in the, the country that you live in. Number one, recognize its laws. Number two, exercise your political rights wherever possible. Number three, all of that in alignment with godly character and attitude, right? So let's say all of that, all of that together. Number one, you want to recognize your country's laws. Um, exercising your political rights wherever possible in alignment with godly character um, and, a godly, and a godly attitude. I think that's the posture that Solomon gives to us. And I think this is also reinforced in the New Testament um, by uh, possibly the greatest Christian uh, who ever lived by Paul. Um, he says this in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. He says, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he specifies for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now we'll just push the pause button right there. So what Solomon says is, hey, or excuse me, what Paul says in the New Testament is that you and I should pray we should pray for our leaders, not slander them, right? But we should pray for them. And I don't know how this hits you and your life spiritually, but I'll say for me, man, I need to read this because this is a command that I need to obey more. I have a general, uh, a general uh, predisposition probably towards politics and my elected officials uh, at times, and I fail I fail to pray for them where I should. So this is a commandment that personally, I don't know about you, but I need uh, to obey this particular commandment more. And here's why. Look at the last part of this. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires for all people to be saved and to come uh, to a knowledge of the truth. So there's some connectivity between how I approach things publicly, politically, and my attitude and other people coming to a saving knowledge of the truth when it come, they can come into a relationship uh, with God. So in that vein, um, the way that I approach things politically becomes more spiritual than it does just circumstantial, right? So as a believer, when I'm willing to bring myself underneath the authority, so government is an authority in our lives, it's not the authority in our lives, but I can come under, when I can come under my government, my elected officials and come under their um, elected or their authority in my life, then what I can do is as I speak with godly character, even when I'm in disagreement, it allows a different perspective for people who don't have a relationship with God to see, wait a minute, they recognize authority. Believers recognize authority differently maybe than, than I do. Solomon says it this way back, um, to, to just pop back to the Old Testament. Solomon says, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king. I mean, Solomon, he creates a high bar, right, for you and me 
in our prayer lives, in our public attitudes, even, even in our thoughts, right? So this is why in the last uh, presidential election, oh, the Sunday before the election, when we didn't know who the next uh, president was gonna be, we prayed for the next president because that's what the scriptures call us to do. And just in case you think that, you know, this is like a general suggestion or idea, like this is, a, this is an imperative, it's a command. And it comes from somebody who was living in disagreement with his political authority in his life. At this moment, when Paul writes the words that I just read to you, when Paul writes these words to Timothy, Paul is in a Mamertine prison. I'll show you a picture of that particular uh, prison that Paul was in. There's no door because to get into the prison, you're lowered down through the floor. So all of the wastewater, you know, we a little, you know, kidding around there about ocean water and all, but all of the wastewater of the city would, uh, would drain that direction and would drain down into the, and so there's Paul down in a hole in the ground living through, and all of that, because, and he's innocent, he hasn't done anything wrong. And because of his authorities and because of his leaders, that's why he's there. And from there, <laughs> he calls us to think differently and to live differently when it comes to our elected officials. So he says, keep the king's commands. But then from there, he flips the coin, right? Back in Ecclesiastes, um, he says uh, this, then the next verse in verse three, do not take your stand in an evil cause for he, he meaning the king does what he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme and who may say to him, what are you doing? So keep the king's commands, that's first. But second, he says, but watch the king's causes. In other words, don't take a stand um, in an evil, in terms of morality, don't take a stand for an evil cause. So what does that mean? That means I think for us, there are gonna be moments in, in our lives as believers, when we think about things from a public uh, political perspective, that we are gonna have to go against the grain of popular uh, sentiment. We're not gonna be able to follow the populist movement of our uh, party and we're all gonna lean right. We're all gonna align ourselves in some ways with some parties locally from a state perspective, from a national perspective. And there's probably gonna be times along the way where even inside of your party, even inside of that context, you're gonna have to go against the grain. He says, yes, keep the king's commands. And at the same time, don't blindly follow political leaders, rather watch the king's causes. And you're like, how in the world? How in the world are we supposed to do that? He doesn't leave us wondering. The end of verse five, he says this, the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. The wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. The best thing that you and I can do in regards to um, uh, politics locally, nationally, and globally is to grow a wise heart. He says a wise heart's gonna know. It's gonna know the proper time. It's gonna understand. It's gonna know the just way. So for you and me, what does that mean? That means we get our hearts into God's word and we allow God's word to get into our hearts. We study God's word and allow God's word to study us. We do surgery, if you will, on God's word, and we allow God's word to do surgery on us. And in the process of doing that over a lifetime, what happens is you grow this deep, deep heart of wisdom. So what does that mean? 
for those of us who, um, who enjoy the public political spectrum. It, it just means that we know more about Philippians than we do about Fox News, right? That we know more about Matthew than we do about MSNBC, right? That those things are primary in our hearts and in our lives because we are citizens. Again, Paul says in the New Testament, we are citizens of heaven. America is an, an incredible country. We're blessed to be part of it. Um, compared to other countries in the world, we have significant freedoms, all of those things. But our ultimate citizenship is not here. Our ultimate citizenship is eternal and it's in heaven. And that's where our ultimate allegiance lies. So that's where our ultimate investment should be. Now, problem, the difficulty comes when political issues collide with biblical issues, that's when it really becomes tough. And we've got a great example, I think, of that um, right now. So in our state um, on August the 8th, right, we have a special election coming up. Now the special election is actually a referendum on how we make amendments in our state constitutional uh, process. You've probably seen a lot of the vote yes signs, vote no signs on this particular thing. But what happens at times is political issues um, all of a sudden get turned in a biblical direction. For example, about this, um, this upcoming um, special um, election. The AP came out a couple of weeks ago and said that this is a, this is a stand up moment in the state of Ohio about abortion rights. And all of a sudden we see an issue, a biblical issue in my opinion, like abortion become politicized or weaponized in a separate, in a separate argument. And it is very difficult to figure uh, those things out. I think, the scriptures, um, I think the scriptures are very, very clear, right? That God is the author and he's the creator of life. And Psalm 139, 13 through 15, verses like Jeremiah 1, 5, Luke uh, 141, Genesis chapter 1. Like, I think the church can take a clear stand. I think believers can take a clear stand on the issues um, when it comes to life. But when it gets lobbed into um, another issue, sometimes, man, it, it's hard to figure those things out. So I'll tell you what's helpful for me. Maybe it's helpful for you. Uh, during, uh, during COVID, we made um, a good friend out of the Citizens for Community Values here in Ohio. They helped us communicate with the governor's office about reopening, and we developed a great relationship. And so in your notes, in the teaching notes, there is a link there. And, and listen, not trying to coerce anybody, not trying, trying to be helpful. There is a link there um, to um, an article about this whole issue and how it's connected and all that. You can check it out um, if, if you want uh, to check it out. I think that um, whenever we try to untangle um, these issues politically, what's important is where do we fall, um, where do we fall biblically? And I think overall, especially in the issue, um, issues related to abortion, I think the big C church, national worldwide church, I think especially in the modern era has done a pretty good job of, um, of showing, of teaching a proper theology about life. 
I will also say that I don't know that the church has always done as good of a job of helping people who have made aborted decisions in the past know where to go and how to heal. Because listen, if the gospel is for any of us, it's for all of us. If it covers any of our sins, it covers all of our sins. And so that's why I'm grateful. I'm grateful for um, a number of our life groups, a number of our life groups that partner with the Stowe Mission of Central Ohio. They do a number of great things uh, in the urban core um, of of our city. They give out over 100,000 free meals every year. They have the only free dental clinic in the city. They have a free vision clinic. They do uh, free after-school tutoring uh, during during the school year. They do a lot of great things, but they also have a a crisis pregnancy uh, care center there. They give out free diapers, they give out free formula, they give out mentoring um, to young parents as they help them through the process of making these these kinds of decisions. And we've been blessed um, here at our church over the past couple of years. We have a a lady who attends here, Amy Garner, who does an incredible job. She leads a bridge group helping people walk through the past uh, abortive decisions that they've made. And she helps remind us that there's hope and healing, right, for every harm. And I'll just say from my seat, I have gotten um, a couple of notes from people who have gone through uh, this, this bridge group. It has been an incredible blessing to me watching people heal, watching people deal with things like guilt and shame, taking steps forward in their relationship with God because what we sang earlier is so true. I'm not who you say I am, right? What, what, what Chad said I thought was so on point for today um, in that pastoral moment this morning. Whose voice matters most? It's not my boss's voice. It's not my family's voice. It's not a friend's voice in my life. It's not even my own voice at times. What matters is I am who God says that I am. And especially reminding people in these kinds of moments of that, Man, what a critical, critical opportunity. So instead of avoiding, right? Instead of saying, man, I don't know what to do with that. I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna, instead of doing that, I think we as believers, these are incredible opportunities, incredible opportunities to step into, to exist underneath the authority of our elected officials and at the same time speak biblically about these particular issues as as they come up. Now, most of the time, these issues um, are, also tied um, into things um, like power uh, and wealth. And when you read Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, um, Solomon has some really incredible things uh, to say to us. And from my seat, I'll say that I think sometimes um, I read Proverbs and I think I would not expect him to say that. And so I want to read a couple of those passages to you, um, starting in Proverbs 29, verse 13. He says this, The poor man and the oppressor meet together, and the Lord gives light to the eyes of both. Now, why do you think Solomon says that? He approaches two groups, right, of, of people there. And 
what I think, the reason I think Solomon does that, because it's very easy for you and me to, um, to go grab the success in a biblical story of like Abraham, right? Abraham was very, very successful. So you grab the story of Abraham, then you go grab a couple of verses that say, God will give you whatever you want when you pray. You stick those two things together and all of a sudden you've got a prosperity theology that God just wants all of us to be rich and to be, and to be wealthy. At the same time, it is also easy to go grab a story from the scripture like the rich man and Lazarus, right? Go grab a couple of verses from the book of James that talk about poverty to put those two things together and develop an austerity theology that, said, that says God wants all of us to live impoverished and to be poor. Solomon says, listen, what you're doing is you're not understanding that God, what we sang earlier, God is for you. He's for, he's for me. So what Solomon does in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs in a very wise way is he doesn't tell us everything to do because what we need to do is what? Grow a wise heart. So what he does is identify the tensions that we live in in regards to the resources that God, that God gives to us. I'll give just a couple, uh, just a couple of, the, of the tensions. He says, listen, if you work really, really hard, the odds are you're gonna make more. But if you make more, then the other side of that tension is you can't live to make more because on this side, working hard, earning more, it's probably wise. But on this side, if you live to make more, that's foolish. See the tension between the two things? He says, listen, God will give you more and you should be generous with what you have. And in general, the more generous you are, the more God will give you. Disclaimer, this is not a get rich quick formula, right? But generally speaking, if God gives to you, if God puts resources in your hands and you're generous with the resources that God gives to you, the general trend of what you read in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is, is God gonna put more? He's gonna put more in your hands. But it's not a formula that you and I can follow. In general, he says, saving is very wise. Putting your security in your savings is foolish. So he gives, us, he gives us these tensions. And then he says something in Ecclesiastes chapter five that I don't know about you, I find this very surprising. Here's what he says in verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this, this is the gift of God. So what he says, he says, enjoy what God has given to you. Be generous first, right? So first be generous with the things that God has given you and then enjoy them. It's not a sin to earn a lot as long as you're generous with the things that you earn. So enjoy the things that God has given you and deep down understand that what God really has for you and me is this idea that we're gonna uh, become the kinds of generous people because that's the person that you really want to be. That's the person that you and I want to become instead of living by the, you know, Amer the American 11th commandment, thy lifestyle shall match thy income, right? And you find yourself in a spot where you're living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck, something breaks, all of a sudden you find yourself indebted, right? Instead, Instead of doing that, Solomon says, listen, what God gives to you, what God puts in your hands, be generous with it. And as you're generous with it, God will bless you with more, but God blesses you and me so that you and I 
can be a blessing to others. Again, Paul reiterates this uh, so well in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, he says this in verses 6 and 7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we can be excited about being generous people. So if whenever the service is over today and you decide you want to give an offering and put it in the black box back there, if you give electronically, whenever you hit the give button, right, to give electronically, do a little, do a little shoulder shimmy, right? Be joyful, right? Be happy about it because God has given you, he has blessed you so that you can be part of, of blessing others. Um, this year in student weekend back in the spring, uh, whenever that day uh, was over and we talked about all that God had done uh, in the lives of, of our students and students were uh, baptized at the end of that weekend, a couple came to me uh, from the 930 service whenever it was over. And I was talking that day, I tried to connect the dots between the fact that as you are generous with the resources God has blessed you with in the context of our local church, it makes a difference in the lives of, of other people. Certainly, it makes a difference in the lives of our students. This couple came to me, and the wife said, she said, that is my story. They grew up in Worthington, um, or she did. She grew up in Worthington, and uh, her parents didn't go to church. They were not believers, but a friend invited her to go to church. And in the context of going to church, she became a believer at age 16. And at age 19, she met her husband, uh, they got married, still, uh, still married, still uh, today live in Worthington. But she said, that was my story. She said, you know, my parents, my parents never gave financially to the church that I was part of. Other people's generosity is what helped make a difference in me coming to know Christ. And for a lot of you, that's you. There are people who are coming to know Christ right now through the vehicle. Now, listen, God doesn't need our money. He's doing just fine, right? He doesn't need your money, but we need to give it. And as we give it, God uses it to make a difference in the lives of people that you're never going to know. This week, um, I was uh, at a, a camp up in Michigan. I taught, uh, all week, taught six times up there in four days. And at the end of the week, we had a few of our families uh, who happened to be there for camp this week. And at the end, we had two of our high school students who got baptized, another adult uh, man who got baptized. And you are part, you are part of that. Because of your generosity, through your generosity, you're investing in people that you don't even know. And then there are moments like that where God brings that to fruition. And you get to share in the joy of being cheerful about the decisions that other people are making. Now, if you're here today and um, this is your first time to come to church, maybe ever, or first time coming to church in a long time and you're not a Christian, you're like, I knew it, I knew it. The church just wants my money. Can I just say to you, um, we do not want anything from you. That's not, we do want something for you. The greatest verse in all of the scriptures, the greatest verse 
in all of the scriptures about giving has nothing to do with money. The greatest gift given by the greatest giver. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, and if you're here and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you can put your name in that whoever spot. You wipe that word out, put your name in there. And if you, if you today will believe in him, you don't have to perish, but you can have everlasting, eternal life, living in relationship with God that begins here and now. Because Jesus left heaven and came to earth and paid for your sins and my sins on the cross and was miraculously resurrected on the third day to teach us that we can, we can beat death, to give us the confidence in facing uh, death, facing eternity, you and I can experience the most incredible generosity, the greatest gift that was ever. We don't want anything from you, but we do want this John 10, 10 kind of abundant life for you. If you're here today um, and you're a Christian, um, grow a really, really wise heart. Especially in our culture, in our context, you are going to be pushed, right, to the extremes. You're going to be pushed to the extremes politically, right? Right now, the cultural narrative is you are either uh, pro-women or you are pro-life. God is both. He is the creator and the author of all life. The extreme right now financially is that you need to get right all you can get and enjoy everything that you can and build and build and build and store and store and store. But the kinds of people that God has called us to be are incredibly generous people. The kinds of people who fight for the rights of the unborn and at the same time who say God has blessed our world in the creation of men and of women. And we have to grow a wise, wise heart to navigate those waters. I hope that your investment, your long-term investment, is in God's word, studying it and allowing it to study you, and in that voice, the one voice who can tell you who you really are because God offers us a full, full life in an empty world. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful that this morning uh, we can lay our lives in front of you and we can believe you and we can trust you. And God, in all of, uh, in all of our concerns, our concerns about today, our concerns about the future, our concerns about the things that we have and our concerns about the things that we don't have and the, our concerns about the things that we believe and the country that we live in, all of that, God, we understand that our ultimate allegiance is to you. That what we really want more than anything, the air that we want to breathe is your presence, is 
not leaning into our own understanding, not doing things only the way that we can make sense of them. But you, God, you are our manna. You are our daily bread. And so God, as we lean into that, will you give us the wisdom that we don't have? Thank you not only that you loved us, but that you proved it in the way that you have lived for us, the way you died for us, the way you were resurrected on our behalf. We gladly give you our lives and our allegiance today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.